Uh, Jeremy had taught us about uh, obedience and planning. Anybody tell me what that was about? Was it about some, can you tell me? Was it about some long distance running? Being planning ahead? All right. And obedience, and I'm very grateful that you're being obedient this morning. Um, to to uh, expand on that a little bit, um, I had a little uh, couple of sentences that was not mine, but it was given to me about practice. And that is that practice does not make perfect, but practice makes permanent. And if you remember, Jeremy last week was talking about something way in the future that you prepare for now, practice, and in the future something great will happen. And so I'm going to share a little story with you about uh, my daughter. As many of you know, that our family likes to hunt. We go out and do a lot of hunting, and we do a little shooting. And so sometimes we have to practice. And so uh, one of the things that is very important with that is safety. You always remember to point your gun barrel in a safe direction. You always remember to treat every gun like it's loaded. And so by practicing these things, when something happens, you uh, are prepared. And this particular story was that we were walking through the woods, and my daughter had a 22. And you know, many of you start out with a BB gun, and then you go up to the next level, which is a 22. This was a single shot gun, and she'd been taught to keep that barrel in a safe direction. And she was obedient in that. But she was also told never to cock that gun until you're ready to shoot something. Well, she thought she would be ready, so she pulled that hammer back. And as she was walking along, she bumped the trigger and the gun went off, and it shot the ground right beside her. And to this day, which is many years later, she remembers that very well because that lesson was something that taught her to always be prepared and not do something unsafe. So that preparation made that, that was a permanent thing in her life that saved her. So we want to remember that practice is not that it makes perfect, but practice makes permanent. And when we practice obedience, we have the ability to always have that in our life, and we can learn, and God can use that to uh, give us something very important, and that would be our salvation. So I'll just close in a quick word of prayer. Father, we're so grateful for the children. We're grateful for the opportunity to spend time with them and to teach them obedience. And we just pray that we would continue to be blessed, be blessed by your spirit and that we could be fruitful in our lives. Amen. Okay, I think we're going to go to Children's Church. So if you kids want to walk back slowly to Tim and Kay. Thank you. Thank you, man.
So imagine a couple of kids, 30 some odd years ago, come up to the church and they pledge their lives to each other in the midst of uh, young love and dreams of riding happily off into the sunset. And uh, even last week when I said how many years I was married, some of them were so blissful I didn't even remember the right number, right? So what what was it, honey? 30, 33 years. But everybody needs a Dale and Sue in their life. And we were just kids, and I remember just thinking in one sense, on one side of my head, I thought, well, I got this. What's, you know, what's to marriage, right? Pretty simple. You just go to work, come home, go to work, come home. And when you get home, you know, your dinner's ready for you and everything's taken care of. And But the other side of my brain was telling me the truth that I knew not a clue how to do this. And there was fear and trembling and wonder and so there was a guy at work that I worked with, and his name was Dale. And I would always end up over his table visiting him in break time. And sometimes not during break time too, but mostly during break time. And I started to ask him, hey, you know what? Do you think that my wife and I can come over and visit with you and your wife? And um, so we spent some time with Dale and Sue. And we also spent some time with... Um, Another couple, Steve and Denise, and when we started to have children, we saw some things in their life that we admired, and we uh, attached ourselves to them, and we learned. And so as we come to this section of Scripture, I come with fear and trembling. I come with, hopefully, humility. I come with lots of learning that I need yet to do. And so if you want to open your Bibles to Colossians 3, I am so grateful for the people that God had put in my life and he continues to put in my life that I can learn from, that I can continue to say, hey, how do you guys do this? Um, how does this work out? How, how do you see this in Scripture as you put, put this into place in your own life? And so we're very grateful for that. that um, and so we have, but the main compass of our life the main rudder of our life, the main rudder of your life, the main rudder of our life as the chapel family, the main rudder of the Christian community is the Word of God. And so we consult the Word of God on a regular basis, on a daily basis, and we let the Word of God have rule in our hearts, as it says there in Colossians 3.15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. That peace of Christ comes from the Word of Christ which is uh, this written word and the word that the Spirit speaks to our hearts too. So in Colossians chapter 3, verse 18, this is the section we're in. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you and to do it when their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, 
Work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for his wrong, and there is no favoritism. Masters, provide for your slaves what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask for your spirit to speak to our hearts as individuals, each of us in the place we're at, married or not married, wife or husband, daughter, father, son. Speak to our hearts, God. Correct us, rebuke us, encourage us, instruct us. Help us to um, take with seriousness your word and also with just the delight that it is to have direction that you haven't left us groping in the dark god you've given us your word you've given us your spirit you've given us friends and family to walk alongside of us you've given us the body of christ and we're thankful and grateful in jesus precious name amen I want us to uh, notice a couple things before we even dive into the passage, and that would be the context. The context of which this little section in um, Colossians is written, there's only several verses down to sentences about a vast subject, marriage and the family, these relationships. And Paul's writing to these Colossians, and he's either running out of ink He's running out of time, or but he would include much more if he could. And you know that you can't answer the questions about marriage in just a few sentences and understand and plunge the depths of family life in just a few sentences. But the context of this is the new covenant. The context is realizing that we're sinners and salvation is through faith in Jesus, by the grace of Jesus, by the person and the work of Jesus, and we're broken. And apart from Jesus, we're under sin. And so the context of this is the new covenant written to Christians, and written to Christians who are going to do their best to walk with God. Right? He's writing to a group of people called the Colossians. And he's telling, he told them the doctrine. Now he's going to talk about practical application of the doctrine in the nitty gritty, up and down, everyday life where the rubber meets the road in our relationships, in our marriage, in our families, in our work relationships. And so the context is starting in verse 15, you would say, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. And it's the, it's the context of what does it look like for somebody who's a new creation in Christ? Someone who has Christ in their hearts. Because he said, since you've died with Christ and been raised with Christ, you have a new life in Christ. So how is the Christian life supposed to look in these relationships? And if you'll notice, it says, let the word of Christ, verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. As you teach and admonish one another, there's reciprocating happening, mutual encouragement in the body of Christ. Should be happening in your life right now. 
The Word of Christ should be dwelling in you richly and you should be talking with other people, other Christian people who love the Word of God, who want the Word of God to direct their lives and you're interacting with them and say, hey, how's this working in your life? How are you applying these principles in your life? How are you understanding how you're supposed to cooperate and submit with, with Jesus and walk with Him and keep in step with Him? And he says in verse 17, And whatever you do, so whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Look down to verse 23. Whatever you do. So this little phrase about the family, about husbands, wives, and children, and slaves, is within the context of whatever you do. So there's a bigger sweeping context of the Christian life. And when the Christian life comes into the marriage life, you should have two people that have been walking with God, practicing what it means to walk with God, practicing what it means to be in a relationship with Jesus, and now you're going to be in a relationship with another person who's in a relationship with Jesus. That's the context of what we're talking about, of what Paul's talking about. And I wanted to um, go through, and I invited you to look at a couple passages. We included them in the insert in the bulletin there. But this little passage in Colossians is coming out of and coupled with a larger passage that Paul wrote to the Ephesians. And so I'm still just in the larger context of what Paul was instructing all Christians. And so when you turn to Ephesians chapter 5, one of the fullest, probably the fullest passage in the entire Bible on the description of marriage and family and the relationships between Christ and the church and the husband and the wife it's right there in Colossians chapter 5. But the context again is between Christians. It's a Christian marriage. It's a, it's a marriage that's submitted to Christ. It's a marriage that's operating in reverence to Christ. And so if you look up in verse 15, be very careful then how you live. So I'm in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 15. Be careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. So it's people who are cooperating with, who are in agreement with, who are submitting to and learning to practice this fullness of the Spirit. Those are the people who are going to become husbands and wives. So those are the people who fit in the context of this instruction. People who are already learning what it means to walk with Christ, to, be, uh, to have His Word dwell in you richly, to whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your heart, and then to be people who are being filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse 19, Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Always giving thanks to God the Father in everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then verse 21, before he starts the passage on marriage, and there would be no breaks in the original text. They wouldn't be these number 20, 21, 22. It would all flow together. But he says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So before he would ever speak to the, the couple, 
He speaks to us as individuals. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your strength. Um, Keep in step with the Holy Spirit. Be encouraging one another. Be building one another up. And then he would come to the passage of instruction to the husbands and the wives. Another passage I just want us to turn to, because when it says, be filled with the Spirit, we might say, well, what does that look like? Well, that would look like what it looks like if you go back to the left, one book to the letter to the Galatians. Paul will tell us what he talks about, what he means when he says, be filled with the Spirit. So in Galatians chapter 5, verse six, verse 16, So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with one another, so that you do not do what you want to do. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Then he goes and he talks about the sinful acts of the flesh. But then he says in verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is. Okay? So the young couple, young or old, the couple that's working on getting married, thinking about getting married, in this context, there would be people who are striving to walk with God and they would already be heading in His direction. Right? They're already moving toward the direction it would be to fuse this relationship, to have this particular type of relationship called Christian marriage. And here's some of the fruit that comes along with their lives then. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. These are the things that are supposed to be coming with us as Christians as we move through the progress of life from little children to building and developing a relationship with God. So by the time we came to this intense, I I could use all kinds of words, intense, cataclysmic, intimate relationship, grueling relationship where two people are forged into one you would already have some equipment to work with. You see that? So the context, it's just not out of the blue where he's saying, okay, wives submit, husbands love, children obey. No, you should have people that have been growing up in a community of faith, a new community, the Christian community, people that are learning, your children, my children, that are learning what it means to walk with Jesus. Learning what it means. So by the time they come to this particular relationship where these two lives are going to join together in blissful turmoil. No. They're going to join together in wonderful holy matrimony. They're going to join together in the the bliss of having their lives welded and forged together on the anvil of life. They've already got some equipment they're working with, right? So there's a plan, and God has a plan, and He's moving them toward that. One last, uh, we need to look at Philippians. So that's Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. The overall picture of what kind of person comes to this place of this marriage. 
And so in Philippians chapter 2, it says, verse 3, Do nothing out of selfishness or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. That just means that, it doesn't mean you're less of a person. It just means that you have preference over your own selfish will and selfish desires to apply that to someone else to lift them up. That you would put them in a place where if there's needs, you would seek to meet their needs before you would meet your own. So do nothing out of selfish ambition, vain conceit, but in humility consider each of you. It's more important than yourself. Each of you should look out not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves that was also in Christ Jesus, who being the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be clung to, something to be grasped. But He made Himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, He humbled Himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And so we have this context. We're building the context of these verses. And then I want to turn with me, if you would, to Genesis. It's hard to talk about marriage at all without talking about the foundation and the context from which marriage came, that it's a design of God. God created it. It's His ordinance, His covenant, His relationship. And so He is the one, the founder, and um, the designer, the creator of marriage. So there's a context in marriage. And I'm just going to read. We can't cover the whole thing. We're just setting us ourselves up with the, with the context. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, The Lord said, It's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And we're not going to take the time now to delve into the, the definition of helper suitable, but it'll come clear as we go through. You'll understand more and more the, the, what God has done for us. So a helper suitable for Him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field, the birds of the air. He brought them to the man to see what He would name them. Whatever the man called them, each living creature was His name. The man gave names to all the animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, Wow. Can you imagine that moment, though? Can you imagine that moment? We just think about what's happening in our society today, the degradation to, to marriage, to family, to relationships, to purity. Now this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. For this reason... So there's reason, there's purpose, there's design, there's creative order. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united or cleave, be welded to his wife, 
and they will become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. So the context of marriage is by God's design, God's creative order, His grace, His mercy, His gifts. And so it's to be people who are growing up, learning what it means to walk with God. This is the context. And we know not everyone is a Christian. Not everybody even wants to be a Christian. But for us who are saying, I'm going to be a Christian, I'm going to follow God, there's a context. There's a description. There's a structure. And it comes from the beginning. And it's a gift of God. But we know that in Genesis 3, there's a thing called the fall. Where Adam and Eve, who were naked and unashamed, broke faith with God. And very soon... They were blaming and shaming each other. They were blaming, shaming, and hiding. And so we need to understand our marriages today are marked by blaming, shaming, and hiding. And the Father sent the Son to break the curse. And so the new community, the Christians who are following Christ, are supposed to live in a way that magnifies Christ, not themselves, in a way that follows and honors Christ, and His way works, and He intended it to work. But we have some things that happen with the fall, right? It says that the ground is going to be cursed, so man is going to work by the sweat of his brow and the work of his hands. He's going to produce food. And there's going to be thorns and thistles. That's the environment we live in, right? And to the woman, um, the pain in childbirth will be greatly increased. Your desire will be for your husband, but he will rule over you. Notice that's part of the curse, okay? Wives, that's part of the curse. Husband, that's part of the curse. Christ comes to redeem He comes to reconcile. He comes to renew. So the bigger context of what we need to always keep in mind in this relationship, you have two broken people. Two people who are learning what it means to walk with Christ. Two people who are learning what it means to submit to Him, first and foremost, to submit in other relationships, to live peaceably, to play well in the sandbox, to be people who are um, have capabilities even in the midst of the struggle, to function in that type of relationship. The intensity, the intimacy, the vulnerability, the wonder, the pleasure of that type of a relationship. It's too valuable. It's too deep. It's too critical to not have a context. And so we have an environment. We have a community. We have a church family. We have the new community in which this is a part. So now, let's go back and we begin to unpack. Um, And we'll get as far as we get and then we'll continue as we go on. So Like I said, back to Colossians. 
this little section that Paul shares with the Colossians, you could say, let's just, let's just not leave Colossians and stay right here. We would miss out on the richness of um, his expanded version of the same instructions in Ephesians. So just to remind us, Colossians 3.18, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. And this is a word, this word submit, the idea of submission, it carries so much negative context, so much misrepresentation, so much derogatory practice, so much um, guilt and shame and harm and abuse that um, I want you to be careful how you hear what I'm attempting to say. I want to teach the text. I want to represent it. I even as I study and prepare, my I, I was just wrecked this week as I thought about my uh, I don't even know what to call it. My attempts to love my wife as Christ loved the church. My attempts to um, be whatever it is that I'm to be for her in the context of Scripture. And so I approach it humbly. I approach it prayerfully. I approach it with fear and trembling. And also with just the, the pain of knowing, even in a minute way, some of the abuses. And so when I think about the bigger context, can you imagine two sinful kids? Is that usually where it starts? Maybe between the ages of 16 and 50, right? You get married. You're just a kid as far as what it means to give your life away in that type of relationship. So if you're not filled with the Spirit, if you're not having a lot of grace for each other, if you're not dependent on Jesus, you'll have much more turmoil than everybody will have some. But it's going to be a lot worse. So this idea of submission, you know, the word is... Uh, It's a difficult word because unless it's understand what the full context of the relationships throughout the New Testament, it would it could mean what it doesn't intend to mean. So the word submit in the Greek it's basically a it's an it's a, a military word describing and they're only it's military not because that's what it takes but it's military because in the military, for it to function effectively, there has to be this submission to one another. And submit means it's to place oneself under. But we'll, we'll flesh that out. Because we're already learning that to be a functional Christian, it had been part of your early upbringing as a child you can't obey your parents without submission. It says in 1 Peter chapter 5, young men, submit to those who are over you. In Romans chapter 13, it says everyone submit. 
In Ephesians chapter 5, 21, submit to one another. So the general idea of submission is that you would willfully cooperate, joyfully, willfully cooperate in the, the, the plan in the unfolding of what God intends to happen in that relationship. There's a voluntary yielding that submission, if it's rightly understood. Um, if you would turn with me to Ephesians as we begin to get close to this starting the actual words. Look at in, v, in Ephesians chapter 2. This is just the general rule to all the Christians. Ephesians chapter 4. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Look at verse 2. Ephesians 4.2. This is to you. This is to me. This is to every Christian. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient with one another. Bearing with one another. Making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Look at verse 25. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood. Speak truthfully to his neighbor. For we're all members of one body. Verse 32. It says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Chapter 5, verse 1. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And then verse 21. 5.21. It says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So you have all this context that goes into the, this relationship. This idea of submission. Wives, and then it unpacks in a beautiful way some of the uh, the qualifiers. This isn't just submission like a doormat. This is submission that is qualified very carefully. Okay, look at verse 22. Wives, submit to your husbands. The key word to me in the whole sentence is the word as. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, His body of which He is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Verse 25, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. That little word as is a qualifier. It would be like if I was to say, we're going to learn how to meek a horse. Meek means that you don't wreck the horse. It means that you take a horse who has all this power and strength and you're going to train him to the harness, to the bridle. I would say, well, you do this as Lene would do it. And I'm not sure that Lene, I've seen some people work horses, but you probably don't do it with a whip and a chain. You gentle them, right? And you teach them what they need to learn in that sense. So this is a, a willful cooperation that is part of the life that started as a child. Children, obey your parents. 
If you're copping an attitude as a six-year-old boy or a six-year-old girl, you're going to bring that with you. you got to deal with that. I have to deal with that. Because it's going to come up in the intensity of this relationship. The intimacy, the vulnerability of that relationship. And if we don't deal with our attitude, if we don't deal with our selfishness on a regular basis, so it's as, this little word as, again and again it's repeated in there. That's how we do it. As, wives submit, as to the Lord. Out of reverence for Christ. Husbands love as Christ loved the church. In one of the things I was studying, there's a professor and a scholar named Gilbert Belzikian, and he wrote these definitions. There's different definitions and applications of submission, right? And here's some that are very faulty, just so that you can get clear. There's a, there's a context here. There's a calculating kind of submission. And you can think about this in a child, or you can think about this in a husband, or you can think about this in a wife. A calculating kind of submission. That is to manipulate and self-serve. It's advocated by some in order to obtain the fulfillment of secret selfish desires. Just go along so you can get what you want. Another form of submission is that which results in self-deprecation of persons who have been conditioned to view themselves as inferior or some idea of rank or ability or personhood. It's servility of the loser, the fawning of the vanquished, the surrender of self-esteem by the powerless and the oppressed. That's not right. That's not biblical. This has nothing to do with rank. This has nothing to do with personhood, value, worth. There's another type of submission that's, uh, there's a submission just out of the desire to placate. It yields to appease rather than to reconcile. It concedes for the sake of ease, not for any higher good. It gives in rather than working toward intimacy, working toward fellowship. And then lastly, there's a submission of resignation. Just to the bitter necessity. That's like the prisoner who goes, he knows he has a sentence and he has to go to jail and he just submits to it. And he's just like, it's resentful, it's begrudging, it's foot-dragging recognition of the inevitable. That is not biblical submission. There's 92 Greek words that are given to the husband. There's 40 Greek words in this passage given to the wife. And so before we ever um, understand what's right, we need to understand there's definitely some wrong. Any type of submission that does not include the willful giving of your best intentional efforts for the good of another. Because all through Scripture, you already saw that we're submit, we're supposed to submit to one another. We're supposed to submit to government when it's doing what it's supposed to do. And we're the younger men submit to the older men. The children submit to their parents. But any type of submission that does not include the willful giving of your best interests, because you know as well as I do, if your child submits to your rules, but he does it 
in a hateful, grudging, mean-spirited attitude, that's not what you're looking for. That's not submission, biblical submission. You would be looking for what Jesus said in the garden. Not your will, but my will be done. Where he gave up his, says that he gave up and took on the form of a servant. He washed the feet of the disciples. So any type of submission that does not include the willful giving of your best intentions for the good of another. And Jesus is our example. So it says, wives, submit your husbands as to the Lord. And so I would say to any young woman, any wife, are you working on, are you practicing your relationship with God? Who's in charge of that? If that would be the right question to ask. Are you in charge of Jesus? Or do you submit to Him? Do you submit to His leading? Do you submit to His protection? Do you submit to His guiding? Do you submit to His care? There's no mandate in all of Scripture and no allowance in the New Testament for one adult believer to hold authority over another adult believer. Instead, the overall consistent teaching of the New Testament is this idea, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Serving, bearing another one's burdens. Um, the strong effort for mutual edification of building each other up in the Lord in the context of this relationship from Christ. Christ alone is the only one who has sole authority over another person. The verb, submit, it's an action as well as an attitude. The tense of the verb shows that submission is voluntary. There's never a command in Scripture, husbands, make your wives submit. That's the air of it. That's the falseness of it. That would be a, a, a wrong way. The wife's submission is never to be forced on her by a demanding husband. It is the recognition of God's leading and direction in which she's submitting to. She's submitting to God's order, God's structure. And God doesn't make an order that devalues a human life. Think about that. Could it be possible that God would demean a human life? The very one, he said, he loves the church, of which he is the Savior. He nurtures and cares for it. So if in our minds we have this idea that, hmm, submission means I'm valueless or I'm worthless or somehow I'm, I don't have the same value as another person. There is an equal in God's eyes here in the value and the personhood and the willingness of putting herself underneath her husband's leadership and protection to cooperate with God's intended functioning of the marriage and the family. The whole purpose is to meet God's design and to bring Him glory. So marriage is to reflect God. And there's purpose in there. That's beyond what we would rightfully understand. In um, So any, any idea of submission that would be servitude 
to lessen the value and the worth and the dignity of the wife is totally unbiblical. Has it been practiced throughout history by domineering males who were not subjected to the Holy Spirit themselves? And even males who were godly at times, but were sinful and rebellious and ignorant and stupid? Indeed. Indeed. But what God is saying is that this willful cooperation is part of life in the sense of that relationship of two people trying to outgive each other and outserve each other. And the marriage is to reflect the oneness that God intends and two people trying to help each other grow in Christ. And so marriage is like an incubator for Christ-likeness and godliness and holiness. And when it says in Colossians 3.18, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting. Wife, I will tell you, you are never called by God to follow your husband into sin. To follow your husband into anything that would demean your humanity and your personhood. And in your resistance of that, you would have to be very cautious in how you resist because you wouldn't want to move towards sinful behavior yourself. But you are not to follow your husband into sinful behavior. It says, wives, be subject to your own husband. This is a unique relationship between two people. You subject yourself to your own husband. He's the one who has a mantle to care, protect, provide, to provide safety, nourishing, and caring for you as Christ does the church. So you take, go, we'll just end this now. You take two people who are starting out this relationship. Imagine the hurt that's possible. Imagine the misunderstanding that's possible. Imagine the frustration of the immaturity of the two individuals as they start this journey. Right? So God gives us a little help. And He gives us some instructions. Husbands, love your wives. Don't be harsh with them. Wives, willfully submit in a sense of cooperating with God's plan, God's big picture. And it has nothing to do with demeaning you because we just read in Colossians being renewed in the image of our Creator, growing up into Him. We will continue this. But this week as you read through the Scriptures, consider your place in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Where are you at in that relationship with Jesus? And then in your marriage, is your marriage reflecting the nature of your relationship with Jesus? When Paul comes to the end of this section, he says, I'm not talking about marriage at all. I'm talking about Christ in the church. So our marriage is to be a reflection of Jesus. The work of Jesus on our hearts as individuals and then the working of Jesus in our lives.
as a couple. Father, thank you for your grace and mercy. Help us, Lord, as we move forward to understand and then apply your word to our lives in a day-to-day fashion. And God, I'm thankful that you have regard and understanding that we are but flesh and that we um, are unique and that each of us as a, as a couple and even as an individual, we have to figure this out in our life in, in, in accordance with our gifts and our talents and our skills and our wills as we learn to cooperate with you, as we learn to obey you, as we learn to keep in step with your spirit, as we learn what the definition of love is. And as you invite us as husbands to love and as wives to submit and as children to obey, help us, God, to apply to our lives and our attitudes your word. In Jesus' precious name, amen.